Hello, and welcome to the Astrology Hub podcast. It is so good to be back here with you. We took a few weeks off from the podcast while we've been welcoming our new friends into the inner circle, and I just would love to say hello to all of you out there, and it's been great, and I'm excited to be back here with you today. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Amanda Poole Walsh, and I'm the founder of Astrology Hub and the host of this podcast. And today I'm speaking with Robert Ohato. And I have to say, we recorded this episode before the end of the year, and I haven't stopped thinking about it since. You're going to see why in just a moment. Robert is truly special. He has quite the eclectic and diverse background. He studied everything from, from mythology to Christian mysticism, Kabbalah, Jungian psychology, tarot, Buddhism, Eastern mystical philosophy, and Western hermeticism. Robert's pursuit of psychology and noticing its limitations in understanding the human soul led him down the road to astrology that he's still on today. Robert's unique approach to interpretation caught the attention of big media outlets, and his work has been featured everywhere from Oprah Radio to Fortune Magazine, Lifetime, and the History Channel. For three years, he taught alongside the medical intuitive and spiritual teacher, Carolyn Mice, where he sharpened the intuitive skills that were awakening inside of him as he studied. In today's episode, Robert and I are diving into the role intuition plays and looking at people's charts and astrology as a whole, and how astrology changes as consciousness changes. He also shares his insight on the fixed perspective on astrology where we see it as causative, meaning the planets and stars make things happen in your life, and we're at the mercy of it. He reveals where this thinking comes from and instead invites us to see and experience the co-creative dance between ourselves and the cosmos. This episode is for you if you're interested in things like the awakening of our DNA into a quantum archetypal universe. Pretty cool, right? How to use patterns to change your life whether or not you choose as a soul to come to planet Earth, and why you were born during this axial astrological shift into Aquarius, and how knowing this helps you keep your spirits up even in the heavier moments, the difference between fate and destiny, and what tools you need to be the alchemist of your own life, and how to turn the lead of your fate into gold. Chiron's role as an archetype and force we're maturing through in the Aquarian age how we're moving into more of an X-factor space where even the gods don't know what you'll do next because the mystical laws of this life are actually changing and how planets are grids of power that we can connect into and how to communicate with the planets in a magical way. I mean, seriously? <laughs> yes, we cover all of that in this episode and it is amazing. I hope you enjoy hearing from Robert as much as I love talking to him. With that said, let's give Robert our full attention as he explores these intriguing topics and so much more. Robert, it is so wonderful to have you here on the Astrology Hub podcast. I've heard amazing things about you. You've done incredible things in your career already. So it's just really, really nice to have you here and to be able to share your wisdom with the Astrology Hub community. So thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me here. It's my pleasure, truly. All right. So you are unique in that you're blending a lot of different disciplines and perspectives into the work that you do. But before we even get there, can we back up and start with how you ever even got into astrology? Yeah, sure. So when I was in college, I had two tracks that I was studying. One was psychology, one was French. And um, I, I was always interested in trying to understand how we tick, you know, and, and what makes us up. Um, but as I matured in my collegiate studies, I began to also realize that psychology had this limitation of being the study of behavior and cognition. And, and I realized that what I was really more interested in was studying the soul, studying why we're here. And when I was a sophomore, uh, another astrologer that, that uh, I think you guys know of Benjamin Dykes, uh, he and I were friends from freshman year on. We both went to the same college and he introduced me in, first to the Tarot. So I spent a summer with him studying the Tarot and then after that, he did my birth chart and I was fascinated and, and that led to me getting very interested in astrology. So I'm doing two things simultaneously in my collegiate studies. I'm studying you know, trad traditional psychological models and at the same time, I'm starting to pick up this thing called psychological astrology with some of the, the, the titans of that, Liz Green, Howard Sisportis, um, Aaron Sullivan, all these other people in that field that were really pioneering this, this merging of Jungian psychology, depth psychology with astrology. And I began to understand that 
using astrology was far more effective than a lot of the stuff I was learning, uh, you know, in, in psychology, which has its use for sure. I mean, I think cognition and behavior and all those models are very, very useful, but they're also very limited. And then my path just began to veer in this really weird way where I would start to just know stuff about people work, working with charts around friends and just kind of, you know, riffing around, uh, not taking it too seriously, but I began to just get a lot of really deep information. And then I realized as I was doing that, using astrology as a tool, that another thing was starting to happen with me, and that was my, my intuitive system was starting to come online, and I started to get stuff that you wouldn't necessarily be able to, quote unquote, find in the chart. So you know, what the chart began to represent to me was a, this sort of blueprint, this map of why we're here, our cycles of unfolding our potential, but it's just a map. It's not the country. And this other thing that would fill in with the country was my intuitive skills started to really come online. So I began to realize I had this, this sort of dual thing going on, this expertise forming with astrology. And at the same time, this new thing called intuitive you know, abilities coming online. And, and that was, they were both sort of informing the other. I would find sometimes I would just get intuitive information about somebody and then look to the chart and see it in the chart right there as well. And as I wrapped up my undergrad, I really had a moment with myself and realized I didn't want to go further into academia with psychology because it's a lot of stats and rats. And, and I just felt like I was getting to issues in people much faster. So I decided to take this leap and just do intuitive astrological work professionally. I was 24, <laughs> which kind of makes me laugh now. So I've been actually studying and working with astrology. I always feel like we're all learning from astrology all the time. It's a living thing. And I've been doing that for, I was just thinking about this today, 28 years. Wow. Yeah. I'm headed to 50. It's kind of crazy. But um, so it's, it's something that's always been a passion of mine. And I had also just a natural instinct with it. But I also started to feel that as I began to study it and learn from both the intuitive skill and psychology informed some of this as well. Uh, certainly Jungian depth psychology was a big player in this and a lot of Joseph Campbell's monomyth work. All this stuff started to kind of cause me to also relook at astrology as I was being taught it at the time. And which I would say was more from a medieval perspective of planets being causative and, you know, these, and looking at all the different aspects within a chart and all these different things that I think one can get lost in. And I began to realize that I, I for myself needed to kind of take a step back and really reform my own approach to what astrology is. And that for me is now what I do when I work with this as a tool. And I, and I consider for astrology for me, uh, a lot of people ask, are you an astrologer? And, and I absolutely am, but um, I'm, I am and I'm, and I'm more. And so I've always found this challenge of trying to define a space for me to do what I do and, and let my skills flourish in a way where, yes, I'm working with astrology and love astrology, but also I work with it, I think, in a way that's more appropriate to the quantum intuitive and archetypal age we're in versus medieval. I always thought, why would you work with maybe some of these older models when our consciousness has changed? We've changed. We need new models and new tools to understand how to navigate the co-creative terrain. So for me, that's kind of just a little background story of my journey with it. It's something that I, today, it still astounds me how accurate it is in terms of charting cycles. And when you really know how to work with a chart holographically, how you can really see the layers of somebody and of their journey. And not only that, one of the things that I love that astrology gave me was this way of seeing the interconnectedness of the collective and the individual. And, you know, I'm sure you share some of this passion. I mean, it's just, it's an incredible tool. Absolutely. I also share the journey with psychology and I have my master's in psychology, but I, it wasn't until astrology that I realized that I wasn't getting the answers I wanted. And what you said here, you, you said something really key is that the question that you had was more at the level of the soul. And I realized that that was always my question too. It was always more at the level of the, of the soul than, than like the behavior, you know, or analyzing people's behavior. It's like, okay, that's great. But like, why are they doing that in the first place? Like, let's back way up you know? And so that's really interesting. Something else that you said that I just wanted to elaborate on a little bit or have you elaborate on, which is the older sort of viewpoint that the planets are causative or that our, our relationship with the universe is one where things are caused upon us. Tell us how you shift that because that is a thing that, you know, a lot of people, they'll get into astrology and you'll hear the words that they're using. And it's kind of like, well, it's happening because of this. And this is happening to me. You can hear it in the languaging. Whereas that more co-creative approach has a different nuance and a different way of, of relating with the universe. 
you know, first of all, what's ironic about what you're asking me is that I still use causative language a lot of the time. And I, and I, and I just sort of surrender to it. I'm like, you know, it's just how I guess, cause I'm from, you know, I've been doing this for in studying it for 28 years, I learned from, let's say, causative models of astrology. And, and I think sometimes that language actually gives us um, a way to communicate uh, forces coming online or activating, you know, because that's very accurate. There are forces. I, I view astrology as, so to your question, the way the pivot I make is that it's, it's through Carl Jung and what he identified as the psychic law of synchronicity. So for me, astrology is really a tool of, not of causality, but a tool of synchronicity. So if I were to reinterpret, you know, what the ancients did in the mapping of the heavens and making correlations and looking at the sky and, you know, making these symbolic connections between what was happening out there and in them and in their cultures and in events, and, and we still do this as astrologers, is that we're not looking at planets causing anything. I mean, I, I did, a, I was on the History Channel for uh, an actual episode of the universe where I de we debated with astronomers, astrology versus astronomy. And the thing that was so funny is I agreed completely with the astronomers. I was like, you know, actually, I agree with you. The, the planets don't cause anything. That's not, if you go uh, from that point of trying to defend or grasp onto that, you're going to lose your footing because it's just, for me, I would say it's just not true. But what is true and, and where you can, I think, peak people's interest in this power, the power of this tool and in themselves to use it is that if you say, look, this is just a tool of synchronicity. This shows that something in you is happening out there and something out there is happening in you. So if Mercury's retrograde in the sky, for example, it's retrograde in you, in this part of your psyche, in this part of your destiny, in this part of what I call your soul contract, there's something retrograde in you. And if we start to shift that into that kind of language, we can kind of leave a lot of that causative language behind and go, well, Mercury's, instead of Mercury's retrograde causing this, you can say from now on, Mercury is retrograde in me. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, three weeks are going to be a journey <laughs> because it's in the Scorpio side of my psyche and it's going backward and here we go into the shadow. Oh my God, that's so good. You know, I mean, it, the way that we can approach this tool and integrate so much more into it, like psychology, like... Um, archetypes like, you know, union psychology, depth psychology. And, and that's where I find that we get our, our, our legs in co-creation because now we start to look at things because causative models position all of us as victims. You're, you're just a victim to the psychic weather. So buckle up, you know, and just, or go hide under the covers and wait out that mercury retrograde instead of, you know, this is actually an opportunity for me to have something in my psyche reveal itself to me that wants to integrate into my choices, my power, my actions, and really then therefrom birth my opt optimal potential into the world in whatever way is possible for now. You know, so I approach it from that level. And I always, I always do, anytime I do something astrological, like a course or something online or a, a series on a cycle, I always tell people, look, you're going to hear causative language come out of my mouth, but here's the deal. I don't believe it, one word of it. So while I use this from time to time, you know, I, I also want you to understand we're talking about synchronicity. I love that. I love that. And, and something that you said really piqued my interest. Can we go back a little bit? Because you talked about the, um, the show on the History Channel about the universe with the astronomers. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that went? And like, was there room for both perspectives or was it like pitted as like a debate, like one party's right? Yeah, I I'll give you the background scoop on that show. It's very interesting. And it's just what TV is, you know? So the History Channel, I, I got asked to do it. And I flew out to LA to shoot it. And another astro astrologer came as well. And uh, we both we both held the ground for all of us. So I'll just say that we both did our job. And I said some really great things. And they ended up on the cutting room floor. But uh, the producer told me in the end, the director of the, of the episode said that the History Channel actually wanted to slant the show toward the astronomers. So a lot of what I said that would have made the astronomers maybe scratch their head and go, well, I don't have, I don't have a rebuttal for that. I don't, I've never even heard of someone using synchronicity, for example, as a way to understand what astrology, the mechanisms of how astrology works. So, uh, yeah, it was very interesting that way that the History Channel decided, you know, when they were in the editing room that they wanted it to be. And, and, and the funny thing was I got, I got us, because I, I, I have some clients and stuff, and I, I knew someone at People Magazine, so I, I got us into, I believe it was People Magazine, and also in the New York Post, and they're featuring me, but about the show. And I think they felt bad, because I got them all this publicity, and then in the end, like, it was slanted toward the astronomers. But I still feel like if you watched it with an open mind, uh, I can't remember what episode it is, I'd have to look it up, and someone can probably Google it and watch it. 
but you, you would find that um, there's still a lot of great stuff that would make people pique their interest and make them go, well, I wonder what astrology might really be about. Yeah, but it was a very interesting experience. It is interesting. Whenever we like enter into those realms, I, I had an interview with the BBC at one point and it was just like, there was so clearly an agenda that like, no matter what you said, it, it just didn't really matter because it was going to get skewed or twisted in some way. So, but I do also see that there's so much more interest, like sincere interest in astrology. And I think those networks would be smart to actually highlight astrology in a positive way, because there's a lot of people out there who, who want to know more about it, who love it, who have loved it since they were children. I mean, I talk to so many people all the time that are like, we talked earlier about the astrological renaissance. For so many people, even personally in their lives, it's like, I loved this when I was a child. I got solace from the sky. I, I watched the moon. I felt a connection and then I lost it. And now I'm coming back to it. You know, there's a, there's a love story there. Yeah, I think there's an awakening in our spiritual DNA that's, that, that we somehow intuitively at the base level know that we are in a co-creative kind of quantum archetypal universe. And we therefore, we, we feel ourselves just naturally drawn toward things that speak to that and help us map that territory and help us understand you know, our place in the universe. And so I think, you know, what better than astrology? You know, we're looking at the interaction of, of patterns in the, the solar system as its own living energy pattern. And here we are in this, I, I look at the earth as a matrix of energy that has its own, you know, archetypal cycles that were going on well before any of us arrived here. We just sort of fuse our souls into them. And that's what astrology shows you. What'd you fuse into? And what's the timing? And, and then what is the fate and the destiny in that? So what, what is, what is the weather and the forces and movements of, of things that you cannot control at all? It's just, it is what it is. But what's also true is we have choices that we make within the weather. And um, how can you even maybe harness the weather so you can maybe put up your sail and grab the wind and go around the world, you know, or bunker down maybe if necessary, because there's a, you know, a hurricane coming, you know, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, of course, we all love it, right? So let's go on and on about the usefulness of astrology, but there really is a renaissance. And I think it's also because uh, I think we are waking up more to uh, everyone's intuitive. You know, I, I feel like, you know, I've I maybe had a natural skill and ability beyond what most people might have in the same way Michael Jordan plays basketball at the level that he did. But in the end, we all have that compass. And I think more and more as the world goes toward this globalization pattern, which is the weather and then sort of the archetypal, as we would say in astrology, arch archetypal age of Aquarius momentum, we're all trying to find our bearings. You know, and I think that uh, more people are looking to other things beyond just what's on offer, you know, in the standard models of, of how to map your life purpose that are out there through psychology and through, you know, other maybe coaching arts and stuff like that. People want to go a little deeper these days. You know what I've realized through time is that a lot of the psychological assessments are actually based on astrology. <laughs> But they're just simplified versions, you know, like the Myers-Briggs and a lot of those things, they're... Oh, sure. Yeah, the type of... Yeah, yeah. They're based on astrological archetypes and elements, and but they, but they put it in a language that like any person could understand. Yeah. So I think that's why they have so much more popularity at this point, but... Well, and we're also a very, uh, I'd say, logos culture. So we're a culture that I think inappropriately esteems the mind as the most powerful thing in our, in our co-creative toolkit instead of the intuition, instead of the soul, instead of the heart. And therefore, we, we lean into uh, things like psychology, these, these typology, you know, mapping devices, so that we can feel like we have more control about how we direct our lives. Because the mind's seemingly more controllable than your heart, than your emotions, than, you know, than your intuitive understanding of, of karma and everything else that's moving around, around you know, that, that is out of your control. Do you think, I mean, in some ways it is kind of true, but then you think about the like racing mind and doesn't seem totally controllable either. But I mean, do you, do you think there's some truth in that for people that the, the, the mind creates a sense of, of control, but then it is a little bit more controllable than the things of the heart and the soul and those elements? I don't. Um, and this is sort of the intuitive in me talking because in all the readings I did, and it taught me about my own mind, about my own, my own sort of, you know, in, like if train of power, what was the engine? What was the caboose? What's in the middle? Um, and, you know, when, when you hear these things like change your mind, change your thoughts, change your life, uh, it, I think it falls a little short in understanding that it's actually your patterns that create your life. So it's more change your patterns, change your life. And a lot of the ways our minds operate are from our patterns. So in other words, our thoughts are sort of the caboose of a pattern. You know, and I think, I think just like yoga, though, to balance that out a little bit, you can also, you know, in yoga, you do the asana to settle the mind, right? 
and to kind of go in. So it's using the body and the physical things external to get to a settled place of accessing the interior. Similarly, I think you can, in some instances, use the mind through affirmations and positive focus to start to work on a pattern. But it's like David and Goliath at the end, and you got to understand kind of the balance of that. Another question. Do you think that we choose, as souls, do you think that we choose our timing for when we when we fuse with the matrix of the earth. I love that visualization. 100, absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so we chose it. And so there's a certain reason why we chose a certain time. So there's a certain reason why everybody listening right now chose this time to be here, fused with the matrix of mother earth right now. And I'll tell you, not only yes, but I'll tell you that is that that question that you just asked just sends chills through my whole being because I think that is a very powerful question to really sort of live in. Like, why was I born at this axial shift in time? You know, what we would call transition of astrological ages, you can call it that, or you can just call it a, you know, a a new um, shifting to becoming a one world consciously. We've always been one world, we just weren't conscious of it before, but what are the implications of a conscious participatory engagement as a one world? Um, You know, these are, these are, I think, the questions of our time, truly. And I think I sit back in that question sometimes, and it's, I think it's really useful, Amanda, if we're, you know, having a crappy day where you're just like, why bother? This world is on fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? And why do we even bother? And then I, I have to remind myself because I feel that way. Sometimes we can all get a little collapsed under the heaviness of a lot of what's happening. But it's re- really, I think, very empowering to go, wait a minute, my soul chose this time and, and, and to be here as a custodian of a new era. And so if that's true, I can get up this mountain. We got this mountain. We just got to start the climb and, and got to get our climbing legs ready and, and come to understand what all that means. So I think, yeah, that's a, oh, I love that question. It's so powerful. You know, it helps me so much to, to think about that. Like there, there's the, the new age, there's the age of Aquarius. There's also like the technological, like, ex, like explosion. There's the ability for us to live anywhere on the planet. Like I moved from New York City to Hawaii, like, and it changed my entire life, right? My entire life is different now. So there's so much there. Robert, what is your sun, moon, and rising? I just have to know. <laughs> I'm sure they want to know too. You know, I will only share this to you. I normally do not share this information. Um, I am a sun in Virgo, moon in Aquarius, rising Leo. Okay, nice. All right. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about your book because, so it's transforming fate into destiny, right? Correct. Yeah. Tell us, I mean, this is a big topic in astrology, obviously. Yeah. Is it fate? Is it destiny? Is it both? And how do they interplay together? So can you tell us a little bit about your book and then how your astrological lens, you know, is infused throughout the book itself? Yeah. You know, well, I mean, I think anyone who begins to dive deep into astrology is diving deep into fate and destiny. And I think it's important to understand them, as I would language it, as two force, two separate forces. So the fate for me, and you know, a lot of what I wrote in that book comes from what astrology taught me about these, these things and, and how I began to, through the tool, understand these, these forces that your souls agreed to kind of engage and dance between the whole of your life. And I think it's, if it is, is it, you know, what is, what is my fate and what is my destiny? Those questions are something you actually live in intuitively the whole of your life. I mean, I don't think you ever get it down. But I think there's some things that, you know, speaking of this mental-driven culture that I can point out to people when they start to think about things like what's really popular, like the law of attraction philosophy and all this other stuff, as if it's the only law in the universe. And if you shake it down and you start to look at, wait a minute, there's actually a law called fate. And you might want to get to know that law a little bit because it's actually a guide. We think of fate as like, these are limits. This is a block. This is, you know, something that was put in my way to thwart my potential. And in fact, it's actually there to generate your potential. So for example, you know, the body you're born into, the culture you're born into, the family you're born into, and let's go to the psychic territory of that, all the patterns of your culture, family, et cetera, that are like psychic DNA for you. That's your fate. Your soul chose that before you came here. Your ego has to catch up to it as you develop in your human potential in a human ego as you you know grow into that. But it's done. You know, none of us can say, "Well, I really just am going to reverse engineer the choice for my family, pick a new one." (laughs) We're already in it. So that said, similarly, there's just you could look to the basic things like the limits of your body or how the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. These are things none of us can change. Now, what's interesting for me in terms of fate and destiny is to start to peel from the obvious to make a point of it exists. Let's stop fooling ourselves as if there isn't fate. And instead, let's learn how to work with, 
for example, the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. Let's work with the hours of the day. Let's find a way to work within that fate. So that's one of the things I, I feel was felt was very important in the book to explore was, okay, well, how do you, what are the tools you need to be an alchemist in this and hop into turning the lead of your fate into gold? And some of it, frankly, we just may never get to transition. And, and can that be okay? Can you be okay with the parts of your life that you just are powerless to change? And where can you change things? And then where do you have what, and, and this is something, Amanda, that's really got me very excited and, and my readings taught me this and I, I started to track it maybe midway through my career and got super excited about it with people. So I believe that part of this new and coming age of Aquarius, and I think Chiron is a big um, bridge to this as an archetype and as a, a new force that we're maturing through as psycho-spiritual beings in human egos. <laughs> But I believe that we're moving more toward what I call an X factor space. So yes, you have your faith. There's things you can't change. You got to work with them, understand how to work with it and explore that and name that territory. And it's an ongoing journey your whole entire life. But there's also this new space where even the gods don't know what you'll do next. Because the more that you become awakened in a multi-sensory, co-creative, intuitive way to life and understanding the laws of co-creation, the law, the mystical laws of this life, well, now you're in a different playing field of choice and influence. And you can also draw, and I'm, I'm going to use some different language here, on what I call different grids of power. So we are in this matrix, right? But there's also energies and powers that, that fuel it. So when we say a prayer, for example, I view prayer as a technician. I view it as, depending on the type of prayer you say, if you do it, you know, I think in, in a way that's not to um, sort of embolden your wounded ego, but if you do a soul prayer, I call it, you're accessing forces greater than your own. So if you pray to, I don't know, uh, Ganesha, or you pray to Jesus, or you pray to one of the Greek gods, you're pulling from an archetypal power grid. You're connecting to this source of power, um, or you could use any of the planetary forces. Say, so I'm going to, this one's for Jupiter. <laughs> you know, I need some Saturn up in here. You really do activate that. It does come into your life and you will see it active and present through synchronicity. I mean, how many times have we all said a prayer and the next thing we know, like, something happens in our life and it's like, where'd that come from? So I think we're in terms of fate and destiny. The destiny is, okay, these, these, this is sort of the hand I was dealt. These are the cards. My destiny is how am I going to play those? But there's another new emerging level of destiny that I call the X factor part of destiny where you start to almost, if you will, I, I, I'm cautious using the word transcend because I, I think you have to first fully engage to alchemize anything. So it's not like you just deny it and move on. But by transcend, I mean you move past its limit through the engagement. And now a whole new um, plethora of choices open up. I still believe from what I've seen that those choices still stay in a certain zone of your soul contract, but it gets very interesting. So interesting. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. You, so I, I have tears in my eyes. So I've been recording podcasts today. This is the second time today that I'm crying, but this is fascinating. And what you're talking about with this X factor and this ability to like transcend previous limitations, but through going through it. Like, I, I love that distinction. That's really important. It's not like escape it. It's not bypass it. It's like through it, we then have this opportunity this is to me the most beautiful thing about astro about working with astrology is what you just described is that opportunity to tap into that those archetype what do you call them archetypal force fields like archetypal power grids yeah power grids totally I mean and, and I can see it as you're speaking it's like yes that's exactly what we're doing that's exactly what we're doing when we look up at the sky and we see Saturn and we enter into a dialogue and we're we're bringing that that's real yeah. It's well, and anyone who's done it knows it's real, but it's very, very hard to explain to anybody who hasn't done it yet. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You're talking to Saturn. Whoa, you've like really lost it. <laughs> you, you need some meds. <laughs> you need some meds. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and, and the former Amanda that lived in New York would have been the one saying you need some meds. So I totally understand. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's why I did not go further in psychology. I've been medicated the whole time. <laughs> I would listen to every single thing and be like, uh-oh, wait, I probably have that. And I probably have that. It's not like a, a, psych, a psych student um, thing that every psych student, like everything you learn about, you're like, I probably have that or I do have. Anyway, um, it's fascinating. I love this perspective. And um, your book sounds amazing. W where do people get a copy of that if they want that? Um, it's on Amazon. Yeah, that actually did that book. It's actually 10 years old now, which is sort of crazy. Wow. 
time flies, but, um, you've been busy. Yeah. And I, I mean, what's interesting is that that definitely holds a lot of my ba- I still, it, it was one of those things that I wrote that I think will always forever ha- have, uh, be relevant. You know, it has a relevance that I think transcends, you know, when it was written in 2008, but yeah, so I definitely, I think it's, it, and I explore, you know, the, the power of what is, what is a soul prayer? What qualifies as a soul prayer? So when you're having a dialogue with, you know, an archetypal force, a God or an angel or whatever you want to call it. And, and these are very real um, mystical forces. What is the difference between like saying an ego prayer would be like, you know, I, I want so-and-so to still like me and stay in my marriage. And a soul prayer would be, you know, this might be the end of my, my contract with this person. And if it is, let me know and help us have a sacred divorce. That's a soul prayer. It's like, I surrender over. I welcome in power to come into my system that's beyond my own personal power and refeng shui my life versus I want to keep the furniture right where it is. And I'm going to pray to do that when in fact, that furniture is impeding a flow of new potential into your life, new opportunities that you got a contract to fulfill. So it's, it's a matter of really understanding alignments. You got to, you, you know, and, and when you align to a power grid, it's a different voltage of working with co-creation. It really, really is. And, it, and I, I say that very seriously because you are working with forces that will absolutely come into your life and begin to rewire you and rewire. I mean, so when people do these vision boards, you know, I always think, well, you need to ask yourself what in you needs to change for that thing on your vision board to even come through and manifest in your life. So if you want a loving, awesome reciprocal relationship, you best get ready to have your wires pinged with where you wouldn't handle that voltage because that's the first step that has to happen before that can even show up at your door. You wouldn't even let the, that person in right now. You know, there's so much more in that I think fate and destiny hold in, in this new emerging era. And for those that are obviously more astrologically grounded, I really tracked a lot of this to the activation of Chiron. Yeah. Tell us more about that. You brought that up briefly before, but tell us about Chiron's influence in this. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I have a love affair with this archetype I, and it's, it's um, well, I mean, if you look at Chiron's mythological story, and this might, I'm just qualify this, this could be the Ohado version. So I'm not going to stay strict to some of the other, you know, classical myths out there. But the way that I interpret it is that Chiron is abandoned by his father, Kronos. His mother, Philira, doesn't want to have anything to do with him because she thinks he's hideous. So what that says, now let's flip, flip to symbolic site and look at this archetypally. He is an orphan. He's orphaned. So one of the activated archetypes that's bridging us to Aquarius is, in fact, the orphan archetype, which means to say that when you start to wake up out of tribal consciousness, where you belong in a tribe, you orphan yourself immediately. And so Aquarius, and and I think the archetype of tribalism itself is going through, you know, as part of this transition we're going to be going through over the next 100 years, 200 years or whatever, is that we we are being, to become one world, we have to let go of a certain way that we have related through tribalism. And the only way that you begin that journey is by being orphaned out of tribes. So this is phase one of Chiron's pattern is I'm orphaned. And then, of course, this continues on to where, and let's remember, he's also half mortal, half immortal. And I see this as a symbolic uh, kind of shamanic perspective of us becoming more multisensory and intuitive whilst also being in five senses. So to me, it's this bridging of we're both and. And, and Chiron represents to me a, a way to live in consciousness that's both and consciousness. It's like I'm both, you know, a very loving person and I can be an asshole. Both are true. Who knew? You know, um, I can be angry and have lots of compassion. I can be a love rebel. I, you know, you start to riff around with these things that I think are essential to what are healing. And that's what Chiron is. He's a healer. But he comes into healing through an accidental poisoned arrow hitting him from Hercules, right? And, and I think that's key too because... The accident of that arrow represents how we relate to things happening to us in our mortal lives as victims. And this is what activates in him the wounded healer pattern, which is I've been poisoned by this arrow. And he was already a healer. Apollo taught him this stuff. But I've been poisoned by this arrow. Now I have to go on this quest to find healing. So Chiron does. He goes and tries to find all this healing. And he never heals himself. But what he does do is he heals a lot of other people through the medicine he sources. So one of the things in the mix in our journey now into this new X-factor space of co-creation and multisensory intuitive living in archetypal understandings is that we have to understand what the wounded healer pattern does, how it operates in us. We all have a sacred wound. And when Chiron was discovered in 1977, I'm going to say that around that time, it became more socially acceptable to start therapy. Like people started to end up in therapy. Like therapy was around before then, but it activated in a new level to where family therapy became a thing. We started to go into our interiors and go, why am I so effed up? What is going on with me? And that is the wounded healer, 
Like, I want to understand why I'm sick. Let, let me see what medicines out there that can possibly heal me. So one of the things that happens in Chiron's pattern is you have to realize it's not about getting rid of your pain. It's about making it sacred. And there's a difference because if you learn to work with pain in a sacred way, it becomes a door to the soul. And what I feel it for us as humans does is it, it kind of helps us understand that we can get spun up in our egocentricity and think that somehow we're responsible for everything that happens in our life. And while we are responsible for certain things, we're not responsible for everything. And it's another way of saying, look, your power alone will not heal you. Ask any addict. That's why they have to go to a higher power. They have to plug into a different grid of power outside of their addict's grid. And the mind won't get them out of that. It's the mind that's sick. Addicts have very sick minds. So if we think that the mind's so powerful, no, addicts show us that's not true. That's why they have to say, you know, I surrender to a higher power today for my sobriety because I'm not doing it with the sick mind. You know, that has no power here. So Chiron comes in and, it, and, it, and you know, when anything activates in astrology and synchronicity, what it represents for me is a, a, a time where the culture and the collective is ready to integrate its force and power. So when Chiron was discovered in 1977, it kicked off this time where we're, and we're still in this, you know, we got to integrate the pattern. We got to understand. Whereas before there was a shaman that held shamanic space and trans dimensional space for the tribe and healing for the tribe. Now you have to hold it for you. You've got to claim this as your own center and understand this pattern is now a new evolutionary factor in our human psycho-spiritual development. It's not just for a shaman anymore. And we're, you know, most shamans, when, if you look at that pattern, because it's part of the Chiron pattern, they were initiated into shamanism through something like Chiron went through. And, you know, they got really sick or wounded on the battlefield or something happened to them that just almost took them out. And they had what we'd call a near-death experience. They crossed to the other dimension. And then they came back with a conduit open between dimensions. And now they could be that sort of, you know, hotline to heaven and healing for other, for the people in the tribe. And what's happening in us now, and this is part of intuitive development, is we're learning how to, and are under contract to, develop that line of communication between dimensions for ourselves. And so Chiron, for me, positions us in that space. It's part of this whole new X-Factor process. And I think the force in our human development that if it gets enough traction, will allow us to continue to live on this planet. Because if you're in touch with the holographic nature of life and healing and what it takes to heal and your soul, you're not going to go, you know, wreck the environment. You're not going, there's certain things that you're going to be intuitively anchored in that are not, no longer choices for you or optional choices for you. And not only that, if you've been unconscious in choices, now you know better. So it's such a, obviously you can tell I'm about ready to hop out of my chair. <laughs> it's such a powerful force for our development. It's, yeah, I, I, I could go on and on and on. So for people that are like, okay, there's something for me here and I want to go deeper. I want to understand Chiron and the role that it, this archetype is playing in my life and, and what I'm kind of meant to step into um, in this way that you're talking about. Where would you recommend they go to, to go deeper and to learn more and to explore this avenue? Well, you know, Amanda, uh, come to ohado.com, you know, because this is my work. Like everything I just languaged in Chiron is actually the base of everything I do in terms of it all, it all kind of moves around this territory. I mean, I do different offshoots. I do astrology. I do intuitive work. Um, I just did an a, a in-depth course called Evolve or Repeat, um, which was really <laughs> kind of medicine for the last Mercury retrograde in Scorpio. But I actually use the three water signs as ways for people to map their emotional system. And it's evolution and necessity of evolution for them to get traction and new potential in their lives. But it wasn't necessarily astrological in terms of like going through you know, charts and, and timing and stuff like that. It was more just under because, you know, the 12 signs of astrology for me represent fundamental phases of human psycho-spiritual and ego development. You know, Aries is the I am. Ego, boom, I'm here on the planet. Taurus, you get to know your body. Gemini, start to get your communication going. Cancer, you learn your tribalism. You know, Leo, you learn what's unique about your creative... Um, you know, I can go through each sign and they all represent that to me in some way. So sometimes I'll use those as ways to anchor and map alchemy for people. This is the core of all I do, really. It's, I feel like, you know, I'm sort of this embodiment of Chiron, wounded healer and all, by the way. How did you fall in love with Chiron? Um, I, well, you know, my, my personal story is very um, chi Chironic, Chironian. Um, I was, uh, I grew up in an alcoholic home, was very abused by my parents. And uh, my father ended up 
in the end killing himself. So I, I had a lot of trauma and um, challenges. And then in terms of being orphaned, I'm gay. So that immediately for me became a social orphaned factor for me. Um, I can look at that pattern and it's been a lot of my, certainly my early years of my life. And then of course the intuitive abilities and the, he, you know, the, the healing and, and the pursuit of, you know, I feel like apprenticing under Apollo through astrology and all, all the intuitive arts and, you know, um, astrological arts that I've learned. So for me, it's just, it does feel very, and it's, you know, obviously somewhere in my chart significant and represents to me a big, uh, a big factor in my own personal sense of destiny. So there's a lot in there that I've had to work through and, you know, and still do. I mean, it's, I don't feel like that work's ever really done, but it, it guides me and it, and it helps me in a way that um, I'm just now, you know, so grateful for. I have one more question that's a little bit indulgent on my part, but I got to ask it. Do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So I've been told based on my chart that I have more things in my life that are destined versus that, that may feel less like I have a choice versus like some other charts where you might see more opportunity for, for like the divergence of paths. But for some reason, mine has a lot of like destiny in it. Do you believe in that in, a, in an astrology chart? Yeah, I do. And I'll tell you why. Because... When's your, do you mind sharing me your sun sign? It's Capricorn. Capricorn. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> you love a dynamic 2020 for sure. I feel that someone like you uh, has a certain soul contract and destiny. And this is the key. It's so interesting in your path. The beginning of your path was this, you accessing what was, what was on offer for culture through psychology as a way to understand the self. Because that's wired in your spiritual DNA. It's in your contract heavy. And I think you needed some of the grounding, and as did I, that psychology offers in terms of how to understand. There's, there's a usefulness to stats and rats, and then there isn't. But there is a grounded empiricism in it that we learn as psychologists first about behavior and cognition and all these things. And I think that does give a good a base for understanding the mystical territory in a way that is part of your Capricorn destiny, you can ground in practicality, ground in, in solidity, ground in accessibility, ground in what's useful, what gets people up a mountain. But you also have a contract where you are uh, destined to affect people at a far deeper level than just psychology. And those that have those kinds of contracts like you, uh, the gods don't mess around. So they do kind of funnel in, and it works two ways, interestingly enough. It works in a way where a lot of your path can feel very locked in and you can feel like you hit a lot of closed doors and walls, but it's because you're not allowed to let your, which we all have, wounded ego run, any, run much of this show. As soon as you start to go off with the wounded ego on some tangent or path, your guidance team's like, it's like the adjustment bureau, get back in line, lady. So there's a sense to me that with you, your destiny is singular in that sense that you've you have a platform where you affect people at the level of soul. And that's a whole different game than just their psychology, than just their, you know, even just their base level wounded ego esteem. You affect people in a way that has something to do with a much deeper level of journey in terms of the trajectory of their evolution on a soul level. And I think when that's the contract you have, a lot more is dialed in. And the and here's the thing, the destiny for you, the X factor space for you will be being able to, the more that you work with that, like, okay, I'm conscious now, this is my path, this is what's locked in. I am not allowed to indulge myself in riffraff and get off track because I'm here to work with the soul of people. I'm here to I have play a massive and important role in, yes, the transition of ages on this planet, the transition of humanity to some, some new sustainable model of living on the planet. That's a big freaking deal. So this then for me feels like you have, the more that you're guided by the heart, the more that you're, and I love the Capricorn in there. I love that clause in your contract because I actually feel that's what is needed more than anything right now is people that come with a mystical heart, but a, I call it intuitive heart, where you live in the Chironian sort of both and, but you also don't suffer a fool. You don't get into quote unquote woo woo where it takes you out into fairyland. And we act as if this realm of earth, earth sign, earth is not of God, is not equally as valuable as the heavenly realms, as the other dimensions, it is all the same value. So start acting like it. All is one, the supreme mystical truth. Start freaking acting like it. And your journey is to teach people that. Act like it. Uh, sp 
spiritually adult up because this is, this is an axial shift. We are in some shit right now. And, you know, especially 2020, the cycles ahead. I mean, it's, it's going to be dynamic. Um, it's going to be, I call it a fate and destiny year. You know, do we tip karmically into creating more fate or do we find a way collectively and individually to tip more into creating destiny? So your journey in terms of languaging it in the way that it's highly destined is to say that you've got a grace in this life that has a specific, you know, specific goals that your team, your guidance team, the gods are not going to let you get too off track with. So it works positively in the sense that the other side of this, that, that is awesome. It's all awesome to me, but is that there are doors that will open for you, Amanda, that won't open for anyone but you. And that are, they're, they're just locked in. And it, they'll open in spite of your bad patterns because, <laughs> because it is where you are, you are destined to give your gifts and grace to the world. Not because you suddenly got your patterns all in order. You know, it's more, you know what, you'll, you'll always have a certain kind of faded, fate destiny protection. And I don't know if that's necessarily true for everybody, to be honest. It's true for, you know, I think probably a lot of, your, a lot of the listeners, but I think it's certainly true for you. Wow. Thank you so much. I, I literally hold that question in my heart a lot because I've been told it several times, but it's like, gosh, why? And, and how is that? Like, how do you see that? Or where are you seeing that? Or, you know, and then most of the times I just don't question it and go, okay, well, that's probably true because I can feel that it's true and I'll just go for it. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you know, it's like Joseph Campbell said, it's like, you know, um, when you finally start to pray to the gods that keep continue to seem to smite you down, when you start to align to them, now they're on your side. Now they have your back, you know? Oh my God. So the book I'm reading right now is The Greatness of Saturn, A Therapeutic Myth. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm like, all right, Saturn, I get it. We're going to be like, we're going to be buddies for a long time. And Saturn will, and I, that's a good God to have on your side. Let me tell you, that's, I, I, you know, it's funny as I've gotten older, I love Saturn now. My innate Aquarian self has adapted to the limits of Saturn, but in a really, really wonderful way. You know, it's, it's one of my favorite planets actually. It's, and anything that's ever happened doors in my life that have opened, it's always been a Saturn um, sort of cycle. That's always really kind of opened those doors. Interestingly enough, not a Jupiter one, not a, you know, Uranus one, or it, it was always Saturn that kind of opened the door. And I started to notice that probably around my Saturn return. Wow. Well, that's going to make a lot of people feel good with all this Saturn action in 2020, right? Yeah. Yeah. Saturn, you know, what I love about Saturn is that it's not a, a God that would ever cheat you. You get what you earn. Um, it's, it's not a God like that. So when you work with its archetypal force and energy, you can rest assured that what you, what you effort will be rewarded in a karmic sort of balance, you know, um, but you do have to earn it, you know, and um, I don't know, I think you get, as, as I've gotten older, I've appreciated more the earning it part of it, you know, versus, uh, and I've had some exceptional doors open for me. Um, but at the same time that that happened, I, I had nothing to do with it. I got to tell you, just like you'll have doors that have, you, you really have to stand back and go, this is just what was in my contract. I have nothing to do with this. It's sometimes funny. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. But yeah, I think that's going to be a big part of your, and wow, now I'd love to look at your chart. I'm curious about your year. You got, you just, I just, I've been in this whole space this last week of looking at all the cycles for 2020. So. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you after we were done recording, and if, if you feel compelled, you're more than welcome to look. Robert, it has been a sheer delight to share this space with you today. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I, we could just keep talking, I can tell. <laughs> Seriously. I want to interview you next time. <laughs> awesome. I'm totally down. Where do you live? I live in Boulder, Colorado. Boulder. Okay. I love Boulder. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Okay. Well, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much. And I hope we get to hear more from you and for all of our listeners out there who would already are like, yes, I want to learn more from Robert. Just go to Ohato, O-H-O-T-T-O.com and check out Robert for it. Thank you so much. You are just, you're awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for listening today. Before I tell you about next week's episode, I just want to remind you about the workshop we're featuring during the month of February on the astrology of relationships with master astrologer Rick Levine. If you've ever wanted to know how to look at your chart and the chart of someone you love to get insights into your compatibility, communication styles, how you can better support and uplift them on their path, and why you might run into blocks, this seven-hour workshop is for you. 
You can do it at your own pace and add the videos, audios, transcripts, slide deck, and cheat sheets to your astrology library today. This course is designed more for advanced beginners, intermediate students, and advanced students. So if you're brand new to astrology and just learning about charts and all the different terminology in astrology, this one might be too much for you. But if you've been studying astrology for a little bit, if you're getting more comfortable with your own chart, and or if you're an intermediate or advanced student, then this is an amazing workshop for you. You can do this during the month of February with a $20 discount off the regular retail price. So just go to astrologyhub.com slash relationships and enter in the discount code AHLOVE in all caps, AHLOVE, to save $20 on this workshop. Inner Circle members, you also have your own special pricing that you can find in your email inbox. So check it out. In next week's episode, we're bringing back the very popular vibrational astrologer, David Cochran, for his second interview on the Astrology Hub podcast. And just in time for Valentine's Day, he'll be revealing his many layers of wisdom on astrology and love, connection, romance, and soulmates, and why we're both so drawn to and challenged by the people we love in our lives. I can't wait to connect with you again next week. In the meantime, thank you so much for being a part of our community, for tuning into the show today, and as always, for making astrology a part of your life. I'll catch you on the next episode. This Valentine's Month, we're offering a special on one of our most popular online workshops, The Astrology of Relationships, led by Master Astrologer Rick Levine. In this seven-hour intensive workshop, you'll explore how astrology can improve your relationships, you'll learn synastry and composite techniques, and you'll watch how Rick masterfully interprets students' charts so you can learn from his approach and put it all into practice with your own chart and the charts of those you love. If you're curious about the astrology and the psychology of relationships, or if you're struggling with relationships, whether they be your friendships, romantic partners, parents, children, and siblings, or those you encounter through your work, Rick will help you understand your compatibility and how you can more consciously navigate the challenges you're experiencing and elevate your experience in partnership. Broken down into four manageable lessons, each recording will allow you to go at your own pace, no matter your learning style, with high quality video, audio, written transcripts, cheat sheets, chart demonstrations, and Rick's slide decks to add to your astrological library. So if you're ready to dive deeper into the astrology of relationships, don't miss this opportunity to enrich your understanding of how you and your loved ones orbit each other's lives in this cosmic dance. This workshop is normally $147, but you can save $20 when you buy during the month of February, 2020. Just go to astrologyhub.com slash relationships to learn more and add this workshop to your astrology learning library today. Make sure you enter your discount code, I love AH in all caps to get your $20 off. I see members, you can save even more on this course this month. Just check your inbox for details. Again, that's astrologyhub.com slash relationships with discount code ILOVEAH in all caps to save $20 on this workshop today. The link is in the show notes. Go on over there and check it out. Hi, this is Chris Kaplan, the producer of the Astrology Hub podcast. This episode is over, but check the show notes for links to products and services you've heard about during this episode. And if you enjoyed our show, please subscribe and rate using the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts.